Good evening, good evening, church. Welcome to another live class on a Wednesday, the final Wednesday in the month of September. Woo! Glory to God. We thank God. We've been having a phenomenal time in this month, the life class series on money matters. And we've been delving deep on the issue of money matters. Last week, Wednesday was particularly significant and it was off the hook. I had two financial experts join me last week, uh, Wednesday, to discuss um, and answer our questions on navigating forward in challenging financial times. It was off the hook. They dropped wisdom like it was hot. Nugget after nugget of truth and so practical, so applicable. If you missed out on last week's life class, I encourage you to still go back and listen to it again. In fact, I encourage you to, you to listen to the whole series so far. The three parts of the series has been powerful. When I started the series earlier on in the month, we dealt with the subject of God and money. That was greatly illuminating. Then the following Wednesday, I dealt with the value question, which was, woo, it was off the hook. Then last week was uh, navigating forward in in fin challenging financial times in which I had two financial experts join me in that conversation. Well, tonight we are concluding and we are climaxing the series as we deal with the subject of kingdom stewardship. It's not what you think it is. It's going to be deep. It's going to be illuminating. It's going to be biblical, but at the same time, it's going to be practical. So let's go straight into God's word. Open your Bibles very quickly to the book of Luke and chapter 16. Luke chapter 16, we're going to read from verse 10 to verse 13 of Luke and chapter 16. Chapter 16, Luke 16, verse 10 to verse 13. Here beginneth the reading of God's holy word. It says, He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much, and he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon popular portion of scripture. We've used it a little bit in this series so far, but we're going deep this evening. When we read this particular text, people are very quick to zero in on the conclusion of the text, which was that you cannot serve God and mammon where mammon is money. You cannot serve God and money. That's the conclusion. But uh, we need to look at the, the argument that preceded that conclusion because there's so much truth in the context of the argument that is extremely instructive. First and foremost, what I want you to see is that this is a call to stewardship and also to mastery. It's a call to stewardship and also to mastery. The same recount of this uh, saying or teaching of Jesus, Matthew recounts it in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24. And in Matthew 6, 24, he concludes and says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. He says you cannot serve two masters. So again, this lets us know that the conversation is about mastery. 
It's about who is going to master who. It's about what are you going to master or what is going to master you. So this conversation and this whole text is really a conversation around mastery and effective stewardship. Mastery and effective stewardship. Now, you know me. I'm laying a very deliberate biblical foundation before we go into some practical nuances even tonight. Looking again at the Luke text and the argument that precedes the Luke text, Luke highlights the expectations of a good steward, what we should expect of good stewards. What is primarily required of stewardship is faithfulness. In the text, we see that he expects that a good steward will be faithful in little, and because he shows himself to be faithful in little, then we can trust him with much. A good steward will not be unjust in little things because if he's unjust in little things, then he will also be unjust in weightier things, in more consequential things. And I want you to note that to be unjust means to lack balance and equity. So he's saying that a faithful steward will, will, will be balanced and, and equitable in little things and in large things. In other words, the principle that he's really trying to espouse here is the way you deal with little things is ultimately the way you are going to deal with larger, more consequential things. It is not just because something becomes larger and consequential that all of a sudden you develop the disciplines of balance, equity, or faithfulness. If you haven't already been balanced and equitable in little things, then it goes on to say, it is expected of a steward that he will be faithful in another man's business. And it's actually the way he displays his faithfulness in another man's business that qualifies him to now be given his own business. So if you are uh, uh, unfaithful and you are cutting corner, corners on another man's business, you are, you, are going to, you are sowing seeds that you will still reap in your own business even if you ever get to your own business because actually your faithfulness in another man's business that qualifies you to now be able to have yours. But particularly what is profound in what Luke is saying here, what Luke is recounting here, is the fact when he says that your faithfulness with unrighteous mammon. Now, unrighteous man, mammon is money. He says that your faithfulness with unrighteous man, mammon, your faithfulness with money can, is a reflection of how, he says that if you are unfaithful with unrighteous man, now who will give unto you true riches. So he's telling you that your faithfulness in unrighteous mammon money is what becomes the barometer. It becomes the measure. It becomes the, 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 the premise from which we determine whether you are going to be faithful in true riches. Now, what, is, what are true riches? True riches are spiritual things, are the treasures of spiritual things. So he's saying this, now get this, this is deep and this is strong, that, that your faithfulness with money is a reflection of your faithfulness in true riches, in spiritual things. Oh my goodness. How you handle money, your faithfulness with money is has an impact and reflects upon your faithfulness or whether you will be truly faithful when it comes to true riches and spiritual things. Also in this same text, uh, particularly in the conclusion where it says that you cannot serve God and money, it gets us to see that in these last days that we are living in, the biggest competitor to God 
is not is not the obvious devils and demons and witches and wizards the actual biggest competitor with god is money is money money is the biggest com competition competition with god because money is so essential to life that if we're not careful we find ourselves uh, uh, prioritizing everything that has to do with money even over our God. Oh, I hope you hear it. And even though we can sometimes pay lip service to, oh, no, of course, I love God more than I love money. I don't even love money. You know, God comes first and all of that. When it really comes down to practicalities, sometimes our actions, our choices, actually reveal that we prioritize the pursuit and the acquisition of money over the pursuit of God. Oh, God, help me, Lord Jesus. Let me just give a side step here. It's interesting how um, when, even when we are tired, even when we are weak, even when there are issues going on in our life, we will pull ourselves out and go to work Monday to Friday. Why? Not so much because we are in love with the work, but really because of what we're going to get paid at the end of the month for the work that we have done. Meanwhile, you wake up on Sunday morning, meant to get up and go to church, and you find every excuse in the world why you will not be able to go that particular Sunday. Now, I'm not saying that there might not be exceptional Sundays where you can't do that, where you can't be in church for one reason or the other, and I'm not necessarily saying that it is going to church that is the barometer of your love for God. No. But it is, it, it is consequential uh, that we will do whatever it, it, we need to do to go and earn money, but we will let anything stop us from going to worship God. You think about it. So, so this scripture says you cannot serve God and money. The biggest competition to God in these last days is actually money. But even though we cannot serve God and money, we have come to learn that, listen, we must serve God with money. So money is never meant to be a master. Money is meant to be a tool with which we serve God. We must use our money to serve God. So tonight's teaching is about kingdom stewardship. And the subject of my meditation is kingdom stewards. You are meant to be a kingdom steward. I'm calling kingdom stewards to arise even tonight. But we're going to get practical. We're going to sort out the nuts and bolts and you are going to be blessed. Let's pray. Mighty Father, speak through me like only you can. Let there be great truth and light. Liberate us and cause us to start to work in true kingdom stewardship and in total life prosperity as you've always intended for us to do. In Jesus' mighty, mighty name. Amen and amen. All right, let's move forward. Open your Bibles very quickly to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, it says, let a, man, let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. Okay. This scripture reveals that one of our des designations as believers, as saints, as sons of God, is that we are meant to be stewards. You are called to be a steward. And it also quickly underscores here once again 
that the top requirement of any steward is faithfulness. We are called to be stewards, and the mark of our stewardship is our faithfulness in what has been given to us to steward. Now, this is very important for us to understand because there has to be a mental shift within us. We have to shift in our thinking, in our mentality, from viewing money as my money to viewing money as God's money in my care. Let that sink. It's God's money in my care. As a steward, a true steward doesn't really own anything. Everything in his custody is given to him to care for, but the ownership is someone else's. Someone else is the owner. The steward is the caretaker, is the manager, okay? And he says that what is required of stewards, stewards is faithfulness. There has to be a mental shift in our lives as believers, as saints, as sons of God, that even the money we handle is not ours, it's God's money in our care. It might be in our control to decide what we do and don't do with it, but the truth be told is still God's money. We are simply trustees, if you like. Stewards are trustees. It's put in our hands for us to now manage and use on his behalf. So there has to be a mind shift. Listen to me. There has to be a mind shift from ownership to stewardship. From ownership to stewardship. We actually own nothing. All we have is given to us by God and we will yet give account for it all. We are stewards. You are a steward. If you are online, wherever you are right now, just say, I am a steward. I'm a son of God, I'm a daughter of God, but I'm also a steward of God. Let me give you another scripture. In the book of 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 and 11, listen to what it says. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 and 11. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another. As what? Good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. And if anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So again, this scripture lets us know, causes us to see once again, that we are meant to be stewards of the manifold grace of God. What is the manifold grace of God? That is all of our competences, our gifts, our talents, and all of that. That's the manifold grace of God. Which gifts we actually use in the marketplace in exchange for money. So when he's telling us to be good stewards of the manifold grace of God, by extension, it's to be good stewards of the money that comes as a result of the utilization of those gifts, competences, and talents. We are all called to be stewards. You are a steward. Now, if you are a steward, your first question, the first question of any good and faithful steward is, what is my Lord's priority? What does my Lord want? A good steward is not quick to start doing stuff with what has been given to him. His first part of call is to say, Lord, my Lord, what do you want me to do 
with what you have given me to steward. Okay. Now, a parable in God's word that really brings it home and starts to teach us quite a few very important things. I can't read the whole text, but I want you to take note of the two um, accounts of this parable. It's in Matthew chapter 25, verse 14 to 30, which is the parable of the talents. And then in Luke chapter 19, verse 11 to 27. Now, in Luke, Luke's account, 19, uh, chapter 19, 11 to 27, he talks about minas or pounds. But it's the same story of talents. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 14 to 30, Matthew, in recounting it, talks about how uh, a master is going on a journey and then he gives talents unto his servants. He gives one five, another one two, and another one one. Now, when you go and check the actual Greek translation of talents or pound or mina, it's talking about weights, portions of weight. It's actually referring to money. So what the master gave to his servants when he was going on a long journey is actually money. He gave them, them money. The talents, the money was delivered to stewards for stewards to, 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 to handle. In Luke's account in 19, the master is leaving and he says to them, occupy till I come. Actual other translations put it this way. He says, do business till I come. In other words, this thing I'm giving you, I want you to trade with it. I want you to utilize it. I want you to maximize it. The instruction of the master was not just to keep the talents, was not just to keep the money, but rather to use and maximize the talents, to use and maximize the money. So the assignment is not to keep. The assignment is to multiply. Ooh, hallelujah. A good steward doesn't just keep and maintain what is given to him. A good steward multiplies, increases what is given to him. And we see that this is the case because when the master comes back, he rewards all the servants that have been able to multiply what was given to him and he reprimands the steward that is not able, to, that doesn't do anything with what was given to him. In fact, in reprimanding that steward, he goes as far as to say that the least thing you would have done is to keep my money with bankers. So you see again that this clearly now defines that the talents that were given was really money. That you should have kept my money with tankers and at least I would have been able to earn some interest. But you didn't do that. You just kept it as it is. And if you keep it as it is, listen to this sidestep, anything you just keep at it as it is has just depreciated. Because value and inflation is never going down, it's always going upwards. So that means if you are not trading and increasing it, and you're just keeping it as it is, it's actually decreasing. Nothing in life is stationary. If you're not moving forward, because life is moving forward, you're actually moving backwards. And in the reprimand to this steward that did nothing with the money, that did nothing with the talent, that did nothing with the gift that was given to him, was this. It says, you wicked and lazy servant. Luke says, unprofitable servant. This is serious. This is very serious reprimand. I hope you are getting what I'm saying here. He's saying, therefore, that to not multiply what is given to you 
is considered by God to be wicked, lazy, and unprofitable. When you don't master money to the point of being able to multiply it, Jesus, help me, help me, help me here. God is saying you are being wicked because you are denying so many others of blessings they should get through your efficiency and effectiveness. It's wicked, it is lazy, and it's unprofitable. The other side of that is that it means that good stewardship would, good stewards, will be willing to put in the work. One of my greatest frustrations with believers today is actually laziness. Laziness, not wanting or not being willing to put in the work to understand truth, to grasp truth, to do what they need to do. Good stewards are willing to put in the work to study, to burn the midnight candle, to sit down and listen to teaching and get line upon line, precept upon precept here, a little there, a little, till they really grasp it. Now, therefore, to be good stewards of money, we have to seek and secure financial intelligence. Uh, on, on Sunday when I was teaching on the uh, widow, I was able to show you clearly there that having spiritual intelligence does not automatically translate to financial intelligence because the prophet who was devout and spiritually intelligent still died and left his family in debt. What was he lacking? He was like lacking financial intelligence. Ecclesiastes tells us about the poor wise man who delivered the city. He was wise, but yet he was poor because he did not understand the wisdom of leverage to leverage his wisdom of delivering the city to get himself out of poverty. So he had uh, the wisdom to deliver the city, but he did not have the financial intelligence to get himself out of poverty. So we have to be willing to put in the work, seek and secure financial intelligence if we are going to master money. And this is why this series, this month of Money Matters have been, has been particularly important. Now, actually, I forgot to tell you this at the beginning, but I'll tell you now, and I hope you're hearing me loud and clear. I'm still gonna give an opportunity tonight, so we might go a little bit over our normal close time to, to, to answer your questions. So if you still have questions by the time I'm closing this teaching, practical questions about financial scenarios, I'm willing to take them um, for as, as many as we can take. And if you don't have any questions, then all well and good. But the point is, so get ready, get, get your questions ready. Start thinking about this area. I want to ask about this. I want to ask about that. Get them ready. We'll try to deal with them at the end of the teaching. To be good stewards of money, which God requires of us, which is part of our stewardship, we have to seek and secure financial intelligence we have to master money. You have to study how does money function? How does money operate? Interest rates, where does it come from? Where does it go? And all a lot of that we've already dealt with in the series so far. But I'm going to quickly start getting, start getting practical by looking at biblical keys to financial intelligence. Biblical keys to financial intelligence and navigating challenging financial times, okay? You've got to understand that seasons change. Seasons come and seasons go. And so we've got to learn how to understand, how to manage each season. 
the, what distinguished the sons of Issachar was that they had an understanding of the seasons, the understanding of the time. So they knew what Israel ought to do per time in every season, in every situation. Okay. So we now want to look at some biblical examples of how men and women of God handled changing seasons and particularly handled challenging financial times. One of the classic examples of somebody that was handling challenging financial times is the example of Joseph, Joseph's wisdom. In, in, in Joseph's scenario, he came and interpreted the dreams of, of the Pharaoh of the day, and he, he talked about seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine. Now, you must realize that men are in sizes, life is in phases, seasons are never ending, okay? Men are in sizes, life is in phases, and seasons are never ending, all right? seasons change. There will be seasons of plenty and there will be seasons of scarcity or lack or famine. It's just the way it is. And it always comes. Now, Joseph shares wisdom with us because Joseph gives wisdom on what to do in the days of plenty and what to do in the days of scarcity. In the days of plenty, Joseph's wisdom says, don't spend all you've got. In the days of plenty, make sure you are saving at least 20% of what is coming to you. In the days of plenty, make sure you are putting aside at least 20% of what is coming to you. Then in the days of scarcity, what does Joseph say you should do in the days of scarcity? Joseph says, do business in the days of scarcity. Don't just withhold because there's scarcity. Rather, take what you have been saving and now use it to transact business in the days of scarcity and thereby even increasing that which you had saved. In the days of scarcity, then bring out the savings and transact business, which is exchanges, value exchanges, to get what you need because they now need what you have saved. Oh my goodness, are you getting it? Now, when I was thinking about Joseph's wisdom for handling challenging financial times and days of scarcity, I felt that Joseph's wisdom was somewhat irrelevant, um, irrelevant in these days of cost of living crisis because it would seem that if you have not saved in the days of plenty, then it's too late to start saving now in the days of scarcity. It's too late to now start saving in the days of, of, um, of cost of living crisis. That's what it would seem, seem to be the case. But it's never too late to save. It would have been better if you had been saving in the days of plenty. But don't say, oh, because there's scarcity now, there's not going to be any saving in my higher horizon. No, you, you've still got to find ways of how do I... Put aside now. Remember from last week's conversation that the reason we save, we save to invest. We don't save just for the sake of of saving because we understand how value is depreciating. So if I have to save, I'm saving to be able to gather enough to make a significant investment. Are you hearing me? What I'm saying? Also on Sunday we learned that if we are going to borrow at all, we don't borrow to eat. We borrow to invest to increase what we have, okay? But there is still something we can draw out of Joseph's wisdom. What is true in Joseph's wisdom is that even in the days of scarcity, it's not the days 
to run and hide. It's actually the days to get out there and engage in business and engage in value exchanges and engage in trade. What we are meant to be doing in days of scarcity is actually trading the more, doing more business, doing more value exchanges, because that's the only way to make sure that income is still coming your way, even though the days are hard and challenging. It is better that something is coming in than nothing is coming in. You might not be able to land your dream job right now, but at least having something that is producing something, bringing something in for you is better to, 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 to have than to have nothing. If you have a source of income right now, you need to protect it. You need to shield it. You need to reinforce it. You've got to engage it. You've got to hold on to your jersey well and make sure that you are maximizing it. All that we can draw from Joseph's wisdom. Another person that handled days of scarcity was Isaac. The, the scripture says that uh, and there was a famine in the land, land like unto that of his father, Abraham. You see, famine, scarcity is a cycle. It comes no matter what we do. It comes. Recessions come. Recessions go. They're talking about recession right now in the United Kingdom. Well, don't, don't be flustered. This is not the first time that there will be a recession. And I dare say it's not going to be the last time. So you've got to learn how do you navigate these seasons when these type of things happen. So what was Isaac's wisdom in days of scarcity? Isaac sowed in the days of famine and reaped a hundredfold returns. So challenging times are not necessarily the times to withhold your seed, but rather they are actually the times to seek to sow your seed wisely upon instruction. This is where you say, God, where do I sow my seed? Because there's no harvest, listen, there is no harvest without seed sowing. Now, I want you to disabuse my mind, your mind because the Pentecostal Charismatic Church has so used the seed sowing concept to mean giving financially, giving to the church and all of that type of stuff. It, it is does not exclude that, but it is not limited to that. So when you hear seed sowing, you should be thinking investment. You should, should be thinking about where do I invest? Where do I put my resources that are going to give me a return? It's not the time to withhold. It's actually the time to seek where to wisely sow, sow your seed. That's Isaac's wisdom for navigating challenging financial times. Are, are you hearing me? If you are hearing me and this is, is hitting home with you, is resonating with you, and you have access to any of the chat columns, please let me know. Let me know. I'm watching the chats also. I want to see your response. I want to know that you are engaging and you are getting something out of this. We're, we're, we're going further. Another example of how to handle challenging financial times and days of scarcity, we can learn from the four lepers. The four lepers was at the gate of the city. The city had been besieged and they were in great poverty. There had been inflation had, had quadrupled. There was all sorts of challenges. What did the lepers say to themselves? They said, why sit we here till we die? But let us go forward. Let us take a step of faith and move towards our enemy. And you know the rest of the story, how God delivered them. Are you hearing me tonight? So therefore, what to do? The wisdom of the four lepers in days of scarcity is, it is not time to sit still. People, it is not time to sit still. It is not time to sit still. Why sit we here 
till we die. It's actually time to get up and keep on moving forward. Move forward, even towards that enemy. Move forward. You will find out that God has gone ahead of you and you are about to step into your wealthy place. It's a prophetic word for somebody. Receive it and run with it even tonight in the name of Jesus. Biblical wisdom for navigating challenging financial times. Keys, biblical keys on how to do this. Now we come to the New Testament and we look at Paul. Paul says in the book of Philippians chapter 4, verse 12 and 13. Listen to Paul, Philippians chapter 4, 12 and 13. Remember, I'm going to take questions at the end. So if you have practical questions you want to ask at the end, we'll take that. Get the questions ready. We're going there. Philippians 4, verse 12 and 13. It says, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, often we have probably misused and abused this verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We are quick to tell people whatever they want to do, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. It's a bit of a misuse of the verse. Of course, Christ can help us um, to do many things, but we make it to seem that I can do absolutely anything through Christ who strengthens me. But when we read this verse in context, what Paul was actually saying was this, whatever the season or the situation, Christ is able to strengthen me through it. Christ is able to see me through. Whether I'm abounding or abasing, Christ is able to strengthen me through that season. In other words, I know how to go through seasons of when there is more than enough, the days of plenty. I also know how to go through seasons where there is not enough. I know how to go through this, the, the, the seven years of plenty. I also know how to go through the seven years of scarcity. Are you hearing me what I'm saying? I'm also, I, I, I know how to go through the seasons of fruitfulness there's fruit on the trees, fruit everywhere. But I also know how to go through the seasons where there's drought and there's famine. That's what Paul was actually saying here. And by saying this, Paul was again acknowledging changing seasons. He was acknowledging that there would be seasons of plenty and there would be seasons of scarcity. He's saying that, that there are seasons where you must therefore learn to abase and you must Oh, there will also be seasons where you can abound. And you've got to rightly dis discern what season you are in. Again, another way to put this is that Paul is saying there are seasons to be frugal and there are seasons to be abundant. There are seasons to be frugal and watch every penny. And there are seasons to be abundant and generous and lavish. Oh, my goodness. And I dare say right now, brethren, this season that we are in is a season to be frugal. It's a season to learn how to abase, to watch the pennies, to, to be in control of the details of what's going on around you financially. This is a season where, listen to this, this is key for you to get, little is much. Little is much. If you don't learn how to manage little, then you won't have much. Because it is actually little that adds up to becoming much. 
This is a season to be frugal, to learn how to abase, to learn how to deny yourself certain things, to learn how to push back the plate and fast. Hallelujah. This is the season to be frugal. So now, brethren, I'm going to get real practical and I'm going to get into your business a little bit tonight. All right. Are you okay? It's for your good. It's for my good. It's for our good. So let's get practical. To control our finances, to master our money, to, to be able to abase when we need to abase and to abound when we need to abounce, bound. How do we do this? The easiest and the first place to start in financial intelligence and in financial management is control of your outflow. It is control of your outflow, the control of your expenditure. Well, I said it's the easiest. I'm not sure about defining it as easiest. I found out that sometimes it's not that easy to control your outflow. But even though it is not necessarily the easiest place to start, it is the most obvious place to start. It is the control of your outflow, the control of your expenditure. And so I'm going to give you a few tips here, a few pointers a few uh, suggestions here on how you can control your outflow, how you can reduce what is going out from you, how you can be in control of what is going out of you or out from you. You've got to control your outflow in this day and, and in this age. You've got to manage it and, and, and limit it wherever you can, okay? The first thing you need to do is you have to examine for yourself what type of spender am I? What type of spender am I? Am I, an, am I an emotional spender or am I a frugal spender? Am I a spontaneous spender or am I a strategic spender? Now, in times like this, if you are uh, an emotional or spontaneous spender, then you want to give the reins for your spending to the hands of someone that is frugal and strategic. In other words, let me put it this way, you've got to make it hard for yourself to spend. You've got to make it hard for yourself to spend. You've got to put some obstacles in between you and spending. You've got to make it not easy for you to spend so that it delays your proper, you put things in your way that delays your process, delays your ability to actually spend. So that if that ability is delayed, if that ability is, 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 is somewhat delayed, during that period of delay, you can reconsider whether to actually spend or not. If you are married, you want to check between you and your spouse who is the more frugal, who is the more strategic, and who is the, uh, the, the, the emotional and spontaneous spender. And then you want to put the keys to the vault of your finances in the hand of your other, the, your partner, the one that is more frugal, the one that is more strategic, okay? Now, let me tell you the truth about all of us. All of us have what we could call a, a, an expenditure justification ma ma machine on the inside of us or a, a purchase justification machine. You know how it is, how we are able to convince ourselves to make that Amazon purchase or to buy this, that, and the other. We have that machine. Once we like something, we find a way of justifying our 
purchasing that thing um, that we like or that we want. Now, what you need to do is you need to put a cog in the wheel of your purchase or expenditure justification machine that makes that machine not work properly. <laughs> that makes that machine sputter and have to slow down and almost break down before it can justify an expenditure. In other words, I want to buy this. I'm not going to buy it for three days so that I have time to process and to process and to process so that more often than not, I can tell you that 70% of those purchases, you'll find out that, nah, I don't really need to buy that anymore. Or if it still sticks after after slowing it down for three, three, four days or whatever period of time, then you know that, okay, maybe this is a legitimate purchase to be made. All right? Are you, are you getting me what I'm saying? You've got to employ the strategy of delayed gratification. You cannot be like Esau that just wants the food now. You've got to develop within yourself the strategy of delayed gratification. This is not the time to eat. This is the time to protect my birthright. Then another thing you need to do, we're talking about controlling your outflow now. You want to check and know your outflow. So you want to go into your, your banking app, um, your monthly bank statement, and you want to note down where your money is going. There are many of us that don't even really know where our money is going. And I know it's sometimes uncomfortable, even yourself, to actually look at your money. It says that where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Where your heart is, that's where your treasure is. When you look at your money outflow, you can tell where your money is really going. And even just by looking at it, you probably can start to see the things that you can, you can cut or, or reduce. You also, when you look at that outflow, you are able to see where you are spending the most money and which one of them you can limit and you can reduce, okay? And there are all sorts of practical suggestions on how to reduce your expenditure, which is particularly important in the days that we are living in now. you got to cut down eating out. I'm not saying totally eliminate eating out, but you've got to cut it down. And in fact, there can be seasons where you have to totally eliminate it. And, and, and maximize it at, at home. You've got to be more strategic, even with the, your, the purchase of, 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 um, of, um, of food items, or um, you want to be able to buy in a certain bulk, especially if you have freezer space that can preserve it. You want to you want to consider purchasing at wholesale stores. You want to go to Costco and, and buy in bigger bulk and then control how it is utilized at home. You want to control your outflow at this point in time. Um, you, 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 uh, the heaters in my home are not are, are not on and they shouldn't be on in your house too right right now with these um, energy prices and it's not cold enough for any heater to be on so uh, if you're feeling cold put on the socks and put on a few layers and stay warm because you are being a good steward of your resources in a season of financial challenges all right am i making sense if i'm making sense if this is hitting home with you somewhere just say yes in the chat somewhere just say yes i get this i get this uh, yeah, might be a bit uncomfortable but yes i get this now another very important thing is that you have to move listen to this you have to move from once 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 what i want once based expenditure to needs based expenditure alone 
or rather, let's be practical. You have to, your expenditure has to be more need-based than it is want-based. So you want to ask yourself a question every time you're facing expenditures. Is this a need or is this a want? Is this a need? I'm keeping it simple. Is this a need or is this a want? Now, what is a need? A need is something that if I do not have, it's either going to lead to death or, <laughs> or is going to lead to grievous harm. A need is that if I, I do not have this thing, I'm either going to die or it's going to lead to grievous harm to my person. If that is the definition of a need, then there are a lot of things that we say we need that if we really put it by that standard, you realize that actually I don't need that because it's not going to kill me and it's not going to cause me grievous harm. Okay? Uh, that is still falls under the category of a want. I want it. It makes me feel good. I want it. Now, all wants are not bad, but I'm saying that in your, uh, in your balance sheet, uh, in a season of financial challenges, in a season of scarcity and famine, in a, a season where there is lack, you want to move over. This is what it means to learn to abase. You now move over to my expenditure is 90% need-based. I'm not saying totally eliminate your wants. I'm saying now your wants are 10%. Your needs are, you, your expenditure is driven by 90% needs, but I still accommodate some wants because for my mental health, for my well-being, I still need some wants. I need to satisfy some wants that will make me, that will feed my soul. You understand what I'm saying? So it's not a total elim elimination of wants-based expenditure, but it is a, I, I focus more on needs-based expenditure in this season. And another key point, now take note of this one now. You also have to determine, I'm going to spend more on assets than on liabilities. I'm going to spend more on assets than on liabilities. Now, what is an asset? Simple definition, my own definition. An asset pays for itself in the long run and puts money in your pocket. An asset puts money in your pocket and it pays for itself on the long run, okay? While a liability, you pay for a liability and the liability continues to take money out of your pocket. Did you get that? An asset puts money in your pocket and it pays for itself in the short and long, long term while a liability, you pay for it and then it continues to take money out of your pocket. Okay. So you, you want to examine some of your purchases and ask yourself, is this an asset? You see, uh, uh, buying a home or house is an asset. Why? Because the value is going up. Even though I'm paying money to maintain it and probably to pay the mortgage, the value is going up. And if it's in the right location, at some point in time, its value is going to be so much higher than what I have invested in it that it is definitely putting money in my pocket, not no longer taking money out of my pocket. So it pays for itself on the long run and keeps on putting money in my pocket. Now, a car is not necessarily an asset, it's a liability because immediately I buy that car, as I drive it out of the 
sales sales shop. It started to depreciate, depreciate in value. And guess what? It continues to take money out of my pocket because I have to service it. I have to do MOT. I have to foil it and so on and so forth. So in my purchase of car, because you can't eliminate all liabilities. You just want to limit the liabilities and increase the assets. So in my purchase of a car, I'm going to be deliberate to try to choose a car that retains value. That even after a few years, it still has value that if I choose to sell it, I'm going to still get a reasonable return on the sale. The other thing is that you have to master the art of turning even a liability into an asset. So therefore, a car in its natural state is a liability that's taking money out of my pocket and is depreciating in, in, in value. But however, if I'm using that car to make money, if I'm using that car for Uber, for Bolt, or for whatever other transaction, I'm using it to make myself more effective in my financial exchanges so it's increasing my income, then it's not necessarily a liability. It has become an asset. And if I make sure that what it is generating for me is more, more than what I am paying to maintain it, then it's not a liability, it's an asset. So sometimes you have to look at, sometimes the purchase of a car is not necessarily a liability. If you know how to manage it, it actually becomes an asset that you're using to increase your, your income. Am I making sense? I hope I hope I am. If I'm making sense, just say amen, say yes, say yeah, I get it. I get it even in the feed wherever you are. But this is all about controlling your outflow. Uh, but the truth be told, um, cutting down your outflow doesn't solve your financial rules in its totality. And you can only cut your outflow up to a certain level, okay? You have to understand the power of compound interest. So when you're cut, cutting down things, <laughs> I don't have the time to really talk about compound interest there, but you see, you might say, oh, I'm just cutting down this small part and that small part is too small, it's insignificant. But because of compound interest, that small part adds up, adds up, and it multiplies. And it ends up benefiting you big time. You have to shift in your thinking also to start thinking more annually and beyond annually. So sometimes you are thinking, oh, it's just 20 pounds a month. 20 times 10 times 10 is 200. 20 times 12, which is 12 months of the year, becomes 240. So it's not just 20 pounds a month. You just committed to 240 pounds a year. Do you understand what I'm saying? So when you start thinking like that, when you start thinking beyond the short term, but the multiplication over time, then you start to, it starts to inform, do I really want to commit to that or not? <laughs> oh, Lord. I felt somebody say, ouch. I, I heard it just now. Somebody said, ooh, ouch. Yeah. You have to check your subscriptions. I'm not saying don't have subscriptions. I have quite a few subscriptions, but you have to check your subscriptions and ask yourself, am I really using this? If you're not using it, then it's time to cancel it. It's time to cancel it. Okay. But cutting your outflow doesn't solve your financial rules. We have to look at your inflow. You have to look at your inflow. And I'm going to quickly give you some quick tips on your inflow, money coming to you. You have to identify, take this home now, identify your current sources of inflow. Identify and itemize your current sources of info, inflow and ask how can I increase their value. Remember what you were taught two Wednesdays ago, money follows value. So if this is my source of inflow, how can I increase my value proposition in that area such that it attracts even more money? 
I've got to uh, recognize my source of inflow. I've got to increase its value. I've got to protect and preserve its value so that it is attracting more to me. Is, are there some additional courses that you can do that will increase your value on the job? Is there further study? Is there, are there short courses, medium range, long courses? What can you do to increase your market value of who you are and what you do that can attract more income to you? Identify clearly and itemize your current sources of inflow. Then start asking the question, how do I increase the value and therefore increase the income that is coming through that source? Number two, identify your potential sources of inflow. The first ones are identifying current, they already existed, but there are other potential sources of income that you haven't started to use yet. So you want to identify what are my potential sources of income that I'm not using yet. Tying it up with Sunday's message. What are my jars of oil? What things of value do I have that I could actually give in exchange for finance? What are my jars of oil? Increasing inflow. Number three, leverage partnership. One can chase a thousand, two in agreement will chase 10,000. So you want to leverage um, um, partnerships. We mentioned joint ventures last week, Wednesday, with the financial experts. There are certain purchases you probably do not have enough resource to make by yourself. But if you partnered with two, three, four, five, I don't know, 10 people, you might be able to have a joint venture to buy a property that at the end of the day, all of you get returns in and it compounds over a period of time that really makes everybody happy. Rather than you waiting forever to have enough to get it by yourself. And you might actually move from joint venture partnerships to now be able to do solo venture rather than waiting for the solo before you can do the joint. Okay, I'm starting to bring this thing down to a close because I want to, we're going to go over a normal close time of 8.30 tonight to accommodate questions. But I want to now talk to you about kingdom priority. Because remember that we started this from the premise of the fact that we are kingdom stewards. And as stewards, we are not owners, we are trustees handling what God gives us. In the book of Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, it says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all other things will be added unto you. So this is about priority. Earlier on from verse 31, it was telling you, do not worry. But it concludes by saying, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things, everything you want, will be added unto you. So, it tells you that the kingdom has to come first. And as a kingdom steward, the kingdom is meant to be your priority. It's meant to be first above all. God will take care of everything else. He'll add every all things unto you, but he says, put me first. So listen to this and let this hit home with you. Whatever restructuring of your finances you are doing, the kingdom must still be priority. Whatever restructuring of your finances you are doing in this season, the kingdom must still be priority. Listen, in cutting back, giving to the kingdom is not on the chopping board. 
in cutting back giving to the kingdom is not on the chopping board it's 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 sad and painful that in the day that we live in today when people are going through hard times and challenging times financially the first place they start to pull back from giving on is actually giving towards the kingdom they start to put the kingdom giving on the chopping board no 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 it says seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all other things shall be added unto you. You see, putting the kingdom first and consistently giving towards the kingdom is about honoring God and putting God first. So in all of your financial restructuring, the kingdom must still be priority. And in cutting back, kingdom giving is not on the chopping board. It should not be on the chopping board. All right. But you can be wise and efficient even in your kingdom giving. And now I'm going to get practical and run through a few ways to be wise and efficient even in your kingdom giving. Again, even in kingdom giving, you've got to stop just being spontaneous and emotional. You want to live with a budget. I, this I could have told you earlier. You want to live with a budget and there are various structures you can use for your budget. Um, some people will put expenditures, uh, 40%, um, um, personal expenditures, 20 people have various, um, various formulas. You find the one that, that, that works for you. Uh, but you want to live with a budget. You want to live with a budget. And once you, 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 you put everything in a budget, you know where things are. And in that budget, the kingdom should be at the top. You know what percentage of what is coming to you is going to the kingdom. So... You live with a budget and you therefore plan your giving with margin. I, I'm going to tell you why I said margin. Even though I've, I maybe I've looked at my income, I know my tithe is this much, but I know I'm giving above my tithe. I'm not, getting, I'm not even getting into the tithe debate today. It's a matter of honor. It's a matter of honor. Some of the people that make the biggest noise um, about um, tithing, they don't have honor. They dishonor anybody and everybody around them. And they are the the, the 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 they don't give, yeah. Minimum level, as far as I'm concerned, as a believer, is your tithe. But then, as a new covenant believer, your giving is actually supposed to exceed the tithe. And remember that, as a new covenant believer, you're actually not a no an owner; you are a steward. Okay, so. Even though I've set my giving, I know what my tithe is. I know averagely what I'm giving every single Sunday, every time I'm, I'm coming into, into worship. And I'm going to go a little bit more advanced than that in a moment's time. I still create margin. The reason I create margin is that I give space for God to inspire me to give more than what I plan to give. Because there are Kairos moments, there are prophetic encounters that the Holy Spirit can tell me Give more, add more to this, meet this need, meet that need. So I create margin even in my giving. I have my base plan of this is what I give normally, but I've created enough margin to allow the Holy Spirit to inspire and instruct me to give more than what I would normally give. I do not allow my whole giving to be based on when I feel it. That's emotional giving. I've set up the standards, but I've created the margin for God to be able to inspire me to give. Now, when you set up the standards 
uh, for your giving, your type, whatever. Let me tell you, in this Western world, the easiest way to handle this is set up your giving as standing orders. Your tithing should be a standing order. You've set it up in your account. My tithe goes out at this time. You know the time your offering is your, your income is going to hit your account. You set your tithe to go out soon after your income has come because you're putting God first. You see, when you set it up as a standing order, then you're not going to have the temptation every month of deciding whether to pay the tithe or not to pay the tithe. Listen, even the government is taking the tax before they pay you. What gets to you is the net. They've taken everything else that they're going to take out of it. Yeah. So if I'm prioritizing the kingdom and prioritizing God, I can I set up my tithe as a standing order that goes out and I start to plan everything else based upon what remains after the tithe. And then I can even set up my normal Sunday offerings, even as standing orders too, if I want to. But I know what they are, I've set it and I've created margin to be able to give more should the Lord inspire me or should there be a kingdom need that requires um, everyone to give more and to give sacrificially. To be more efficient in our kingdom giving, especially in, in the United Kingdom, is to gift aid your giving. What does it mean to gift aid your giving? You fill a form, you can do that on our website, you fill a form, if you are a UK resident and you're a taxpaying UK resident, resident, you fill a form, it will be sent to us, authorizing us to gift aid every donation you make to us. Now, what that does is that we as a charity, as an organization, as a kingdom enterprise, can now ask the government to give us uh, 20, 20 or 25% more of your giving with no cost to you. So what does that mean? You gave you gave an offering of £10. When we request from the government that you've gifted your giving to us, we tell the government and the government will give us an extra £2. An extra £2. So in effect, you gave £12, not £10. But the, the extra 2% didn't come from you it came from the government. This is what the government has set up to support charities. And this is the way you can make your given even more than what you actually gave. Okay? And we really thank God. I want to thank all of you that have been faithful givers over the years. Even through these challenging times, your faithful, sacrificial, and consistent giving has made the huge difference and continues to do so. Gifted is 25%, I'm told, not, not 20%. That means that if I if I give 10 pounds, the, the organization that you gifted it to can ask the government, and the government will give us um, 2 pounds 50 on top of your 10 pounds. So in effect, you gave 12 pounds 50, but the 2 pounds, the 50 on top of it came from the government and not from you, okay? Another thing that you can do is... All of us are using Amazon for various purchases. We've talked about this before. What you need to do is you go, you Google Amazon Smile. It'll take you to the Amazon Smile platform. Then look for your chosen charity. In this context, you look for House on the Rock London. And you choose House on the Rock London as your own chosen charity. 
Now, every time you want to make an Amazon purchase, which a lot of us are making every single other day, you make that purchase on Amazon Smile. It's the same thing as Amazon. Everything that's on Amazon is on Amazon Smile. It's just the same thing, but it's the charity um, 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 portal of Amazon. So what that means, and all the items there have not increased in value. It's not that they are more expensive than if you want on Amazon Smile. It's exactly the same price. But Amazon has made the commitment that for all purchases that qualify, and that is the majority of the purchases, they will, on your behalf, because of your purchase, give a percentage. They don't tell us exactly what the percentage is, but a very small percentage of the cost of what you bought. They'll do a percentage of it, and they'll give it to your chosen charity. So imagine if all of us made sure that all of our Amazon um, purchases were on Amazon Smile with House on the Rock London designated as the um, end charity beneficiary. You've just again increased your giving to the kingdom and to your church. And do you can you imagine how much we potentially have lost in giving? when people don't take advantage of this in a Western world that has created structures to help us to be able to achieve this. Another key area that I'm challenging every member of this local assembly, House on the Rock, to be part of is what we call the Rock Tower Network Initiative. I want you to go to our website and check up on it. We have a beautiful building, but we need consistent giving give, give to, to secure that building for futures to come. So we're asking people to set up standing orders of whatever amount that is going specifically to our building account to service our mortgage. And we took a mortgage break during the um, pandemic and the lockdowns. We have since resumed paying that mortgage a tidy sum of money. So we need everyone to make that commitment. All of this is about how to be more efficient in your giving towards the kingdom. Now I'm going to close by talking about prophetic seeds. Now, this is an area that because of widespread abuse all over the world and particularly amplified and uh, spotlighted by so many people, so many pastors, including myself, have shied away from talking about or encouraging people when it comes to prophetic seeds. But it's biblical. And I would be doing you a disservice if I don't talk to you about it, if I don't tell you the truth, that the word of God teaches this. It says, he that receives a prophet in the name of a prophet will receive what? A prophet's reward. It is scripture. Go and read the New Testament. So people say, oh, it's an Old Testament um, um, uh, practice. In the New Testament, Paul himself writes often about, if I've ministered to you in spiritual things, is it is it a, a wrong thing, thing for me to expect that you minister back unto me in, in material things? It says that those that labor in the word and in doctrine are worthy of double honor. So whatever honor you would give to um, uh, your, your father, your mother, or to anybody that you really respect, it says that those that labor in the word and doctrine, they are worthy of what double that honor should be given back on onto them. In the book of Philippians that we were reading um, earlier, where Paul was taking, like, talking about, I can do all things through Christ to strengthen me. If you read that whole con context, it was actually talking about how the Philippians ministered to the needs, to his needs, how they, they sowed seeds, how they sent support his way. It is a kingdom practice 
to sow seeds into the lives, to give money. Let's not use that sow seed. I think it's been abused so often. To give money, to give honor in material financial seeds to those that minister to us in the word and in doctrine. We are living in a day, day now where there's so much discipline honor. We've lost a culture of honor. You see men and women of God slaving, working hard, praying day, morning, afternoon, and night to, 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 to get you blessed, to get you delivered, and all of this, and you, 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 you do not reciprocate in material things, in financial seeds. It's not right. We need to revive a culture of honor, and of sowing seeds is not the only thing you do. You can, you can see all the other types of giving I've spoken about earlier, kingdom giving, but it is one of the key things that we as believers need to be doing. And I dare say that maybe it is the loss of this honor practice that has led to us not enjoying the degree of abundance that we should. Now, note what I've also taught you, not once, not twice, not thrice. That when we give, all these um, givings that we do, we don't do it like a magician or with the expectation that money will suddenly appear in our closet or in our fridge. We do it with the expectation that God will bless us with favor, manifest favor, with the knowledge of witty invention, with divine direction, with knowledge, understanding, and even more seeds that will cause many things to be unlocked unto us because God does not bless with wealth God blesses with the power to get wealth. Hallelujah. Amen and amen. I could go on and on. There's so much practical and great financial advice that can yet be given and be given to you indeed. But I know that this month and this series of Money Matters have been simply loaded, loaded. So much information, so much counsel. Even uh, last week, Sunday, uh, it was it was off the hook talking about that widow and and the implications of every step that she took. So I need you to let these words, these truths, sink into your spirit, mar marinate into your soul, and observe to do what you have learned. Observe to do what you have learned. Make quality decisions now. Make the shifts now. This season of scarcity. It might be drawn out for a bit, but we are coming out of it. And we're not going to come out of it by sitting still. We're going to come out of it by moving forward. If you sit still, you're going to sit in it. If you keep on moving forward, you're coming out faster. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. I'm going to take questions in a moment's time. So if you have questions, this is the time to start to um, type them into the feed. While we're doing that, I'm going to give an opportunity for us to give towards the work of the Lord. I want to encourage you to give generously and give bountifully towards the work of the Lord. It takes a lot of finance to do what we do. Choose the pathway that best is best preferred by you to give towards this great house and this great work. You can give on our website, go to the give page on our website, or you can give by PayPal to admin at hotr.org dot uk please choose the way that blesses you the most and give through that way god will bless you god will give you wisdom knowledge understanding divine favor and the knowledge of witty inventions divine direction to know what to do that will increase even income in your life in the mighty 
name of Jesus. I pray blessings upon your gifts even tonight. And I say, let the windows of heaven be opened over them indeed. And the earth yield its increase unto you in Jesus' mighty, mighty name. All right. I'm going to give five minutes or so to... to I might give more than five minutes if questions start to come. If questions don't come, then we will be closing the service um, shortly. So if you have a question, this is the time to type it. On Facebook, type in your question. On YouTube, type in your question. If you have any question on how to navigate challenging financial, financial times or, or any question related to even the various teachings this month and even the teaching tonight, this is the time to quickly post in that question and I will answer it, hallelujah, by the grace of God. And if I can't answer it, I'll point you in the right direction of where to get the answer. <laughs> hallelujah, amen. Um, Sister Debbie is asking, is the church still recovering monies through gift aid, even though we are primarily giving online? Yes, we are still recovering money or able to claim money from the government even though you are given online. Because if you have already authorized us to be able to claim gift aid on your giving, the accounts and the accountant know exactly how to put in a request for every one of your gifts. Now, you have to be careful to make sure that the gifts you are given is given in your name or from your account. We cannot claim gift aid on business accounts. Um, we can only give, pray, play, claim gift aid on individuals who are tax paying, all right? So if you if you are giving the money through your business account or enterprise, then we can't claim gift aid on it. But if you are giving as an individual, then we can claim gift, gift aid on it. And guess what? You as an individual, or even your if you are giving um, as a, a business, there are some tax efficient ways to do that where you can get some tax relief at the end of your personal financial year. I don't have the nuances of all of that, but you can. it's easy to research or to talk to a financial advisor and they will give you all the details on how to do that. But the simple answer to your question is yes, we are still able to claim gift aid from the government even when you give online, provided you had already given us the written permission to claim gift aids on your giving. Amen and amen. Well, I guess that that's the only question that's coming in right now. We're going to bring the service to a close, but I cannot give bring the service to a close without giving an opportunity to somebody out there that has not accepted Jesus Christ yet as their Lord and their Savior. If you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want you to please consider very seriously receiving him tonight. Don't harden your heart. This is the day of salvation. So please repeat these words of prayer after me. Lord Jesus, thank you for giving your life for me, for paying the price for me. Today, I repent of my sin and I accept you as my Lord and my Savior. I believe with my heart and I confess with my mouth. And therefore, by faith, I am saved born again, a new creation in Christ Jesus. If you pray that prayer, you are indeed saved. Glory to God. Welcome to the body of Christ. We are so happy to have you. 
We want to help you grow from being a child of God to becoming a mature son of God. So direct message us on any of our platforms or follow the pathway on our website or email us in the church office or call us on, our, on one of our phone numbers and we will help you. It's important that you are planted in the house of the Lord. We encourage you to be planted in this great house, House on the Rock of London. Great things are happening in this place. Lives are being changed and great testimonies are bursting forth. I hope you will join hearts and faith with us as we go from level to level and from glory to glory. Amen. God bless you real good. Let's close out tonight's service uh, by sharing a word of prayer and the grace. You are blessed you are, and you step into financial liberty and independence shortly, regardless of the times. Even though they say there's a casting down, for you there shall be a lifting up in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Let's share the grace and fellowship. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the sweet fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with us now and forevermore. Amen. And surely God's goodness and God's mercy shall follow you all the days of your life, and you shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen and amen. God bless you real, real good. Have a wonderful evening. Hallelujah. Amen.